You are listening to the podcast of Anthem Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, visit us online at anthemcolumbia.com. Hey, Anthem Church, how are you guys doing? Doing all right? People moving a little slow. It's, it's fall. It feels like it out there. Um, excited. Something is going off. Is that you there? It's 10 of 2. Uh, that's a reminder to pray. And Okay, so you don't know. Let me let you in on a little staff insight, and I was talking last. So 10.02, so every, every day our alarms go off at 10.02, and it comes from Luke 10.2 to just pray that God would raise up harvesters, or people to head out into the harvest field. So pray that God would raise up workers. And so we want to see God continue to bring in leaders and people, and Jesus said, hey, you need to pray for that. And so we take that literal, and so we have an alarm that goes off at 10.02, and the rule that we have is who's ever talking is the person that has to pray. And so I was just talking when Luke's alarm alarm went off, so I'll pray. Uh, God, we do pray that you would raise up workers to head out into the field, and uh, we just need more people being the hands and feet of Jesus. And so would you raise them up from within this church, and uh, I guess even just churches across the world, that you'd raise people up to go out and reach lost people. And Lord, do just pray um, that you would just be with this message, that you would teach us from your word today. And so we just ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. You know it's going to be a fun morning when we have a 300-gallon stock tank up on stage. You see this, right? So we've got baptisms today, in case you didn't figure that out. And so uh, I went to the, the farm supply store. You guys have a couple in town here. And so I'm like looking, and at one point I look in, because uh, they're kind of in this back open area, and I'm like, is there anybody out here? Because what I had done is like, I had to see, you know, if I could fit and what that would look like. So here's like me as a pastor, like climbing in these tanks. I'm like, no, I felt like Goldilocks. I'm like mm, too small and too big. And so, so I, I ambitiously, I'm like, we got some college gals getting baptized today. I'm excited about, but I kind of got the one that was for like, when we start leading football players to Christ, I'm like, I want them to have a baptismal tank. And so, uh, eight foot should, should cover it. And so uh, we've got baptisms today, but we are going to do kind of an abbreviated message out of the book of Ephesians. And so if you have your Bibles, you guys can open up there. Uh, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter two. Uh, and so I'm actually going to turn there with you. And so Ephesians chapter two, and again, by way of intro, it's good to have our college students back with us. Last week was church in the park and um, that was some good fun. If you left any food there, rest assured I took it home and ate it. If you left your camping chairs there, they're in the back of my truck. Um, but it's good to be back together. We had, uh, the salt company had the retreat. I actually got, Jay's got a picture of this. You'll see on the screen, that's a picture of our 40-ish uh, students that went on the salt company kind of retreat, which was a lot of fun. They went out to Mexico, Missouri, and, uh, and got to worship the Lord and, and seek him together and, and play some volleyball, play some ultimate Frisbee, had a little uh, lip sync battle. And so that's the students. And so we're excited about what God's doing in the lives of college ministry and uh, to Luke and the team that's leading that. But it's good to be um, back here. I guess a continuation of that is some of those college students are going to be the ones getting baptized today. Um, and so here we are in the book of Ephesians. We're going to cover Ephesians 2, and we're going to cover uh, verses 11 through 22 and really just kind of round out the book. But he's going to say in, in verse 11, he's going to say, therefore, and so you always have to ask when you see it, therefore, what is it therefore? And so you need to look ahead. What's the context? 
And so he just told them in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for it's by grace you've been saved through faith, not by works so that anybody can boast. And so he just reminded them like, you've been saved. And, he, and again, he's talking to uh, just this audience in the, in the city of Ephesus. And if you've been with us, we've talked about how these people would have been uh, kind of witchcraft worshipers. They had these books of spells. In fact, one of the, the cool things is when they came to Jesus and like, okay, we're going to stop worshiping these false gods. We're going to stop doing that. We're going to worship Jesus. That They took all those books and burnt them and you add the total up and it's in the millions of dollars. And so here's this, this kind of, and where this is at is kind of in the uh, Middle East. Um, it would have been more towards Asia. And so again, you have just kind of this dark arts people that have come to Jesus and he's saying, it's by grace you've been saved through faith, not by works. There's nothing you did that saved you. The, the baptism water doesn't save you. The nice things you do doesn't save you, but it's only through Jesus that you've been saved. And so he's going to start this next kind of section. And again, this was all written as one letter meant to be read in entirety. And so he's saying, therefore, in light, the, in light of that, that you've been saved by grace, he says in verse 11, Remember that at one uh, that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made by the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Okay, time out. Okay, this is, you're like, this is why it's hard to read my Bible sometimes. There's a lot of Christianese kind of language. And so we're going to break it down. If myself, an ag business major, can figure it out, uh, hopefully I can help you guys uh, uh, figure this out too. So the first thing you're seeing is he's saying, you guys were Gentiles. Now, what's a Gentile? What's that mean? So there's this Jewish people that started to clear back with God's covenant with Abraham. He said, you're going to be my guy through you. We're going to uh, make you so numerous as stars in the sky, your descendants. And so God gives uh, Abraham and Sarah a son, and then the whole history of Israel kind of unfolds from there. And so you have this chosen people, the Jewish people, the Israelites from the, the tribe of Jacob. These people would have been Jews. And in their mind, how it worked is if you're not Jew, you're a Gentile. So it's everybody who's not Jewish in their mind. There's only, well, I guess they did have a third thing. Uh, it was like, if you're kind of half Jew and half Gentile, then we called you a Samaritan, and that's even worse. Like, why would you want to intermix? If you were a Jew, you stay a Jew. And so you got Jews, you got Gentiles, and, and you've got Samaritans. And so what he's referring to is this group of people would have been non-Jewish. They would have been Gentiles. And... Uh, and that's what they would have been called. And so how do you know who's Jew and who's Gentile at that time? Like, was there a tattoo? Was it a haircut? No, a little more discreet. This little thing called circumcision. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you can Google it. Actually, don't Google it. Um, <laughs> ask your neighbor. But like, okay, so circumcision, right? So these, these baby boys on the eighth day would be circumcised. That's what identified them as Jews, except for the first people that this was given to, Abraham, he was, he was 90, I think, when they gave him the covenant of circumcision. Yeah, ouch, right? Like, at 90 is when he was circumcised. But after that, Jewish boys on the eighth day would get circumcised. And this is how they identified themselves as Jews. And so 
everybody else is known as kind of Gentiles. And Gentiles would have been recipients of pretty extreme racism. That is, the Jews really felt like people that were non-Jewish, Gentiles, were inferior to them. Okay? And here's the reality is, is likely that there's everybody in here would have been qualified as like a Gentile, right? Unless you're like, no, I'm 100% Jewish, okay? You're in the minority probably, but everybody else in here, this is the kind of persecution you would have faced in that day, being a Gentile, a non-Jewish person. And you have to remember that at this time, the Jews were a conquered people, Assyrians, Babylonians, Mede, Persians, and now the Romans had taken them over. So they're under Roman rule, but yet, even though they're oppressed, that they're under Roman rule, they still had the audacity and the, the pride in their heart to exercise racism towards others, and especially the Gentiles. Here, here's what I mean. Even when Pilate is casting judgment on Jesus, if you remember the story, he had to come out to them because for them to enter into even this leader, this ruler's uh, kind of area would have made them ceremonial unclean and they couldn't eat the feast. And so here's this leader, this governing authority, and he's got to come out to them. I mean, do you, do you see the audacity of that? They would be unclean if they would have entered into kind of his courtyard, but they weren't considering themselves unclean, although they devised a plan to crucify Jesus, right? Like one of these would, would really mess us up. It's, it's, it, they thought that if you touched a Gentile person, someone that was if you just touched them, shook hands, that you could be unclean, right? They would call them uh, dogs, or even this phrase, like the uncircumcision. These were, these were words that were meant to cut them. And it continued that um, many Jews thought this. Many Jews thought of Gentile people as fuel for the fires of hell. Like, do you get that? Like, they're saying... Hell, this is a real place. This is an eternal lake of fire. Somebody's got to kindle that and keep it going. That's why God created Gentile people, so that they could burn in hell. Like, that's the level of superiority that they, they felt uh, towards the Gentile people. Here's, we've got a map. You see on the map, you can see kind of Samaria's in the middle. And there's where like half Jewish people would be. And so oftentimes when Jews would travel, the, the, the fact that Jesus traveled through Samaria and met the Samaritan uh, Samarian woman, uh, I think that's going to be John 4, Salcombe, you're going to hear about that next week. Um, the fact that he traveled there, through there was not common because most Jews would in fact go the long way around, cross the Jordan River and go all the way around so that they didn't have to travel through a country that had non-Jewish people. Does that make sense? The level of, of arrogance and pride in their heart. Um, Gentiles, get this, Gentiles, even if they said, you know what, Jews, you're right, despite all their actions, they're like, you still worship the one true God? We want to worship God. Can we worship with you? No, no. So what the Jews did is they created a courtyard kind of outside theirs next to the temple. And they said, here, this is the court for Gentiles. If you want to worship, this is where you worship. You know what they proceeded to do then? Made it into a marketplace, ripping people off, money changers, Jesus cleansing the temple. That's where he went into was this, this courtyard for the Gentiles that the, the Jewish people had taken over. 
Man, to say that the, the Jews didn't like the Gentiles or treated them poorly would be an understatement. Even this, even in the, later on in the book of Acts, Peter, this is after Jesus resurrected from the dead, after Jesus forgave sins, after Jesus done all this. Paul has to go to Peter because Peter, one of the disciples of Jesus, is refusing to eat with Gentiles. He's like, I don't want to eat with them. <laughs> Towards Paul's like, really, Peter? Like, really? Like, after all that God has done for you and forgiven you, that's how you're going to... And so he had to confront Peter to his face. And so this idea of, of racism, and I just define it broadly, as the belief that one group is more superior, uh, more valuable, more important than the other. That's what happens as a, as a nation or a group says, we are better than these people for whatever reasons. That concept is not new. And it's displayed amongst the Jewish people here towards the Gentiles. And we see it lived out today. It's, it's Black Lives Matter versus the police. Are you Democrat or Republican? Trump or Hillary? People get bullied today because of, of skin color, because of uh, just features, mannerisms, whatever it might be. Perhaps you even know like, what it's like to be put out by something that you have no control over, be it some sort of feature or, or how you talk or, or whatever it might be. Right? So racism, this, this superiority that people feel is nothing new, but, but the absurdity is here it is happening with, with God's people. And what he's recognizing here is he's saying, don't you remember? Do you remember that at one time, that's what they called you? Do you remember how they treated you? You know what that feels like when you have brokenness with other people? Because here's a brokenness that they had no control over. It was the fact that they weren't born as a Jew. There was brokenness. But do you, I don't know if it bothers you when you have brokenness with other people. Maybe some of you guys aren't a feeling. I'm, I'm look intimidating sometimes and people are like, oh, you're, I'm a big soft teddy bear and a big feeler, right? You want to know that about me? I assure you, I cry more in my marriage than my wife does. Even when she's pregnant and has hormones, I'm the one that's still like tearing up, right? The fact that like, if I have brokenness with other people, doesn't that drive you nuts? Like when somebody's mad at you or angry, they got half the story and there's this tension and you're like, are you, are you send that, this is a bad way to communicate through that. Like you send that text out and you're like waiting for them to respond. And in the, the thought that there's brokenness, did that eat you up? And here's this group of people, these, these Gentiles just living in that have brokenness. And there's not a text that they could send, not a conversation that they could have with these Jewish people that said, no, we're the chosen people of God. You're just inferior. And so there's a brokenness that they are living in with other people. And is, if that's not enough, he's going to go on to say, oh, there's a brokenness that you had with Jewish people, put you on the outside, and you've got a brokenness with God. Look at verse 12. This separation, he says, verse 12, remember that you are at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God. There's a brokenness that they have horizontally with others, and there's a brokenness vertically. And here's the thing about that is, is that's, that's on them. That's on us. 
Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so he's reminding them here, remember that you were, you were broken, you were separated from Christ. Okay, I'm into illustrations. I don't know if you guys, I'm gonna move this against better judgment. When you spend $200 on a tank, they give you a couple buckets for free. Um, no, that's not true. They made me buy these as well. Um, so ideally, clear back in the garden, it's like we were created to be in community with God. There's no brokenness. And then all of a sudden, it's like eat the fruit. And you're like, okay, we're over here now. I'm going to pick this up. So there's this brokenness, and, and, and not even just Adam's sin, but we quickly make Adam's sin our own sin, right? If anyone claims to be without sin, they're a liar, First John would say. And so there's this brokenness that we have. There's a distance between us and God. That's what sin uh, creates. When you disobey, when you don't trust God, it creates a separation. I'm telling you, as a parent, that's the thing that really hurts when my daughters disobey me. It's like you're breaking relationship with me. Don't you trust that not eating a whole chocolate cake before supper, like you have to trust me. This is not a good thing. Like, no, daddy. And they just want to do that. It creates a level of brokenness. It says it's not that that I'm like super hurt that they ate the chocolate cake. The, The thing is like it communicates. You don't trust me. You don't you don't trust me. You don't know that I love you, that I have your best interest in mind. And so when we, for example, if you're impure outside the context of marriage, it's like, don't you trust God's model for what he would have? Don't you trust God? But when you, when you break that off and, and it's through pornography or if it's impurity, what is, is communicating to our heavenly father is, is a level of distrust. You don't love his plan. You love your own. And so it creates a separation. And that's what he's talking about here is you guys were broken. Remember that at a time you were separated from Christ, alienated. And here's the thing is how do we separate? Well, God kind of gave us the 10 commandments to go through. Shouldn't lie. Anyone not ever told a lie? Shouldn't take anything that wasn't yours. You shouldn't uh, covet something that's not yours. Shouldn't take the Lord's name in vain. You shouldn't uh, dishonor the Sabbath. You go through all these. And here's even a topic like today. Here we look at a Jewish people that is, is living out this racist attitude towards Gentiles. And some are like, well, at least, at least I don't do that. At least I'm not racist like these guys. As I was studying that, I'm like, wow, I don't know. But then you start to break it down and you're like, is some of that same attitude in me? For example, you... Likely no one in here, Lord willing, has murdered someone. But have you been angry with somebody in your heart? That's where murder starts, right? The difference between you and the person that's behind the jail cell is they actually picked up the knife and did something with that anger. And so do you have the same root? Jesus said, even being angry with somebody is like committing murder in your heart. Racist, maybe you're like, well, I've never done something that would be deemed as racist, but I'm saying, do you have some level of superiority even within your heart? Because at the root of it, that's what it is, is it's one group thinking they're better than somebody else. Do you think that, that those that work with some people, do you think you're better than those that you work with? Those that you get paired up with group projects in school, Do you view yourself as a better student or or more superior to those you're with? 
Do you view your, your family as, as better? Your, your parenting style is better? Your, the fact that you shop at Whole Foods versus you know, all these. Like, do you view yourself, wow, I can't believe that you would. So you start to break it down. It's like, man, even this, this topic of, of racism or having this superiority in our heart, I don't know if any of us are immune to that. And so what has happened is, is your confidence kind of quickly becomes pride and there's this separation between us and God. And what he's doing with these guys, he's saying, do you remember that? Do you remember that there was brokenness with you and the Jewish people and that there's brokenness with you and God? He's like, I want you to remember that. I don't want you to forget that. Remember that. But thankfully, the story is not going to stop there. He's going to go on. What's he say? In verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Here's the misconception I lived in for a long time was, man, I know there's brokenness with God. You tell me in my high school days where I was just living for sports, living for the next relationship, I knew there was brokenness between me and God. I didn't know how to get that back. Like, how do you bridge and distance this gap? So my thing is like, I'll try and do more nice things. But that doesn't, that, that doesn't bring you closer, for example. It's more, I thought, well, I can earn my way back in favor. Okay, those of you taking tests, right? Like the little computer ones, like in, in ComSci, the four credit class, it should be an easy A. Like, here's the thing, like our tests back when I was in school, like you take it and you miss it, it like the screen flashes, boom, and like you know you have it wrong. Or the like the driver's license test, like for those testing out for their permit, like you miss it and there's no going back, right? And I think in like the driver's license thing uh, for your permit, once you missed uh, seven, the thing just shut down. <laughs> it's like, come back next time. Here's the thing though, like once you miss it, there's no like going back and, and somehow getting the rest of them right will somehow help you get 100% on the test. Like once there's damage and distance has been created, it, it, there's distance. And so the question is, how does this get bridged? And he answers it in verse 13. He says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by how? The blood of Jesus. What he's saying is God is a just God. And so he demands that there would be punishment for those sins. The reality, though, is, is Jesus took those punishments. And so if you can imagine Jesus kind of bridging this gap or this table. <laughs> and so now, because of what Jesus has done, dying on a cross, this gap has been bridged. And so now we can walk across only because of what Jesus has done. He's saying, I want you to remember that. It's helpful to know that you were separated. Sometimes, like, once you're on this side, you can forget that it's because of what Jesus has done that you can now be in right standing and reconciled to God. He's saying, I don't want you to forget that. The, you want to know who the toughest people I have to deal with as a pastor? Are people that have trusted in Jesus, stood on this side, and forgot that, and somehow they think they're righteous? term we use is Christian buttheads. 
Those are some of the toughest people that have forgotten that it's by grace that they've been saved through faith, not by works so that no man can boast. But you get so much distance between that past and, and you forget and somehow you think it's because of your righteousness. And I'm telling you, those that don't remember can be some of the toughest. And so he's taking them there in that letter. He's going to go on to say, now, hey, husbands, you should love your wives in this way and children and, and, and employees. This is what your relationship be like with your employer. But he's starting this all out to say, don't forget, remember, the first three chapters are all about remembering, reminding them of their identity and how it was that it was accomplished, not by works, but through Jesus. Man, it's a simple message, but it's one that he's saying, please don't forget that. He's going to go on to say, again, all glory to God, for he himself is our peace in verse 14, who has made us both one and broken down the flesh and the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of the commandments expressed in the ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God and one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who were near. For, though, uh, for through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for, uh, for God by the Spirit. Here's what he's saying. Because of what Jesus has done, Gentiles can have a way to God. Jews can have a way to God. Samaritans can have a way to God. Atheists, agnostics, it doesn't matter who you are. Because of what Jesus has done, he has bridged that gap. And by his blood, by his death on the cross, we can be made right with God. And so through that, Everybody, if you can imagine, no matter their background, coming through Jesus, we now stand on this side. He's saying, because of Jesus, you're reconciled with God. You've been made right with God. And because of Jesus, you're now reconciled with each other. Does that make sense? That, that now that we've crossed over through Jesus, we all share that in common. There's, there's this unity because we've all come to the Father one way. We've all been made right through Jesus. And so because of that, there should be a level of unity between the Gentiles and Jews. And he's saying, you now have that. Remember that. And so being a Christian means that our color, our nation, our team, how we school our kids, how we vote, where we shop, all of that pales in comparison to our relationship with Jesus. That now becomes the first and foremost identifying thing about us. Not our pastimes, not our hobbies. Do all those things still exist? Sure. I'm not encouraging some level of naivety that's like, oh, now everybody, nobody has a color anymore. We're just all translucent because we're in Jesus, right? No, I'm still a white guy that loves country music and comes from a Czech background, so I like sauerkraut and dumplings, amen, right? You don't have to like sauerkraut and dumplings. In fact, you're probably not going to like sauerkraut and dumplings. I do, but, but it's no longer the, the big defining thing about me. right? Because of what Jesus has done, there's a level of, it just puts things in perspective. 
There, there shouldn't be a level of superiority on this side of the cross. No one is greater. No, no one, I love how Pastor Tom would say it. The only thing you bring to your salvation is the sin that makes it necessary. That's the one thing we all have in common. Gentiles, you, whoever, is the sin that, that made it a requirement that Jesus would die for us. And so now on this side, there should be a level of unity. The cross puts things in perspective. And there's that old preacher saying it. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. And when all of a sudden people start to, to assert that they're more superior because of this, that, and the other, and they're claiming Jesus, that's where things get messed up. And so there, it shouldn't happen. So because of Jesus, we see in this text, we're reconciled to each other and reconciled to God. So here's the reality, though, is we still live in a very broken world. And what I'm saying is within the church, it should be unfitting to see any level of superiority and racism or looking down, right? We as a church need to, hey, we recognize what Jesus has done. There's a level of humility and we live in light of that. There's others that have not put their trust in Jesus. They're living on that side and there's a level of brokenness. So what do we do? What do we do with that? We know that Jesus can reconcile us to, to God and to each other. But what do we do? Guys, I wanted to have like a three-step process. Like, well, in light of this, you know, text this is what we should do. I'm at a loss. I drive by home. I, on my way home, I drive by uh, Planned Parenthood nearly every day. And I know that, that young women or young couples go in there and they perhaps get advised that it's a choice to murder and it's their choice to make. And on a daily basis, babies are dying. What do I do with that brokenness? What do I do with the, the racial divide that still seems to like just creep up every three, six months here on our campus? Like what do you do with the level of brokenness that, that really seems to exist out there? I, I don't have answers to that. I wish I knew the, the, the winsome way to, to help young women not abort babies. I don't know. But I, but I know this minimally, that it starts in here. Right? What, my life, what is going on? What does my relationship look like? Do I think of myself as superior? Or am I going to be like Jesus and become a servant of all? Am I going to practice hospitality and invite people in? I know this, I, I don't know fully how to fix it, but I know posting stuff on social media doesn't actually fix it, right? Who of you just made a really great Facebook post and you're like, that should take care of things? <laughs> if only. I know getting around a bunch of people that look like me and talk like me and think like me and gossiping about it, that actually doesn't fix it either. I don't know, but it, it seemingly it's getting thrown headlong into that and being like Jesus. And, and here's the reality is that Jesus is the answer. And I know that sounds so Sunday school, but, but work with me here. It really is the answer that if people 
would recognize that apart from Jesus, we have no hope, that it's only through what he did on the cross that gives us a way to the Father, that through asking forgiveness and putting our trust in him, that we can be reconciled to God and ultimately reconciled with others, that through Jesus, those camps would come together. And the first and foremost important thing would be the relationship they have with Jesus. And those disagreements would, would be secondary to that and it would put things in perspective. How do I know this? that's the answer? Because that's what happened here. What happened was Jews put their trust in Jesus. Gentiles put their trust in Jesus. And now all of a sudden they could eat together. Now all of a sudden they could plant churches together. They went on missionary journeys together. At one point they couldn't touch each other and now they're linking arms in prayer and going out and taking the gospel. They, they were persecuted together. The gospel absolutely broke down. He's saying, you remember that? I wonder how much had been broken down even at that point where he's like, now don't forget it wasn't that long ago they used to call you this, but, but I'm calling you to remember that because, because through Jesus, that was broken down. And so can racism, can this, this divide in this superiority and this pride be broken down? Absolutely. But it only comes when people humble themselves and come before Jesus. And again, church, I'm begging you, don't just hear me talk. At, uh, racism is like this buzzword. But I'm saying that superiority in our own hearts that comes from confidence that gets turned to pride saying the only hope that we have is remembering what it is that Jesus has done, that that can be broken down. That's what he's calling them to remember today.